Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Molly Carmichael with Zonda's Inspirational Leadership Series, joined by the industry's best in real estate. This series is about the top leaders in real estate, who they are, how they got started, their inspirational leaders, and their journey to the top. Today, we are joined by Eric Lieber, the Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Board for LGI Homes. They're one of the fastest growing home builders in America today. Today, they've closed over 50,000 homes with operations in 35 markets and in 20 states, and they just began in 2002. They're currently the 10th largest home builder in the US, again, which is pretty notable as they're a fairly young home building company compared to the rest. Their home building model is unique. It's focused on giving consumers their first chance at home ownership with over 90% of their homeowners coming from apartments. Eric is a brilliant leader with humble beginnings, and he is a great example of an American success story. But before we begin the interview, I do want to thank Builder Advisor Group with leaders like Tony Avila. They guide companies like LGI to reach their full potential. Builder Advisor Group is a boutique investment banking firm dedicated to providing M&A advisory and capital raising solutions to builders and developers since 1996. That's almost 30 years, so they must be doing something right. Their dedicated team has been advising clients on more builder M&A transactions than any other advisor. And the Builder Advisor Group team has solved some of the most complex capital raising assignments, including project and corporate level debt and equity, preferred equity, mezzanine debt, and so much more. So again, thanks to the team at Builder Advisor Group and Tony Avila for sponsoring today's podcast. So let's get started. Tell us what you do on a day-to-day basis. What is your job? Okay, uh, great place to start. <laughs> well, I think my job in, in my role, Molly, is really keep, keeping everyone focused on our systems and processes. I mean, we are very proud of the fact and really emphasize that LGI is a systems-based company. And we'll probably get into that later as well. That's a big part of our successes at uh, at LGI, and I get questioned, you know, what keeps you up at night is people not following the system. And I think that's the biggest responsibility I have is spreading the message. And it's not easy, right? We're in 35 different markets in 20 states, um, a lot of growth since wow. we started. That's and crazy. Keeping everybody focused on that system is my job. And then obviously the people associated with that and putting the right people in place that are focused on that system because we believe we got the most powerful system in the world, whether it's sales, operational, very structured, very simple, um, but not easy to execute on. And my job is keeping everybody on track of the system. That's what, that's what keep, comes to mind when we think about what I should be doing and what I'm focused on every day. Let me ask you this, because um, a lot of CEOs look at this differently. How do you keep everybody on track with being in the systems, policies, and procedures, all the stuff that you're doing, yet stay open-minded enough to make sure you're getting feedback from the front lines to make it better? Like, how do you get their feedback into that sort of process improvement, but still, you're right. You guys have a very unique model, and it's, it's a great model. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll take the first part of the question, and I think how we get everybody on the system is we have to publish the system. We have to be open-minded to talk about it. We train on it. Every position LGI has got a operations manual associated with it. 
uh, every employee at LGI has got a in writing performance based job description with very specific mission critical tasks that that job has to qualify. And we've kept it pretty simple to where our construction manager's job description is the same nationwide. Our sales new home consultant sales individuals job description is the same nationwide. Um, how we build our houses, the processes we go through, the, how we determine number of starts for community is the same nationwide. But those manuals mitigate the risk. I mean, there's nothing easy about the growth that we've had. There's nothing easy about getting further away from our corporate office. But when you have manuals, you have job descriptions, and it gives the manager something to manage too. I mean, the manuals and the job descriptions are for all of us employees, and everybody should have one in writing but also gives the individuals in management, managing those employees something to manage too. And that's also very important. And I think once we have the system in place, um, we're not really interested in, in everybody's feedback because the challenge I have is getting everybody to operate in the system. Um, everybody's opinion is important, but we are not open-minded to changing the system. And I tell all the employees on the first day, and I talked to all the, the new employees on the first day of employment. Um, as soon as someone starts outselling LGI and puts up better numbers, we'll be more open-minded to changing our, our sales process, if you will. <laughs> that, you know, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. How did you guys actually go about then developing all the systems and getting those in place? And then is there a point where you actually look at that as a company? Is it you or a team of people that refreshes that at any point. Yeah, we, we do refresh our system. I think the system started, you know, with my father and it started really on the sales end. Mm -hmm. uh, my father learned the business selling uh, land in Northern Michigan to individuals looking to buy a second home, um, driving up from Chicago and Detroit. And when you do that and you take them through that process, it's a very structured sales process. Uh, you take them on a tour, you show them the golf course, you show them the lakes. And we brought that sales system over to LGI when he started um, because we wanted to make sure the customer had a great experience. We wanted to make sure they had all the information they needed to make a decision. So it was a great sales process and we brought that over. Um, so that's where a lot of our systems came from. Then we brought in Mike Snyder and some of the experts on the construction side to develop our construction processes and systems and it's grown from there. But you're right, I mean, the, our process and systems fundamentally is the same since we started, but it has changed. You know, we're, we used to be known as the newspaper company, now that, then it was a direct mail company. Now almost exclusively all marketing and leads comes from a, a digital uh, marketing component. So it does evolve, um, so sure. we've had to adapt to, to some extent, but the system is essentially the same as it was uh, 2003 when we started. Explain a little bit about uh, how LGI is different from the other competitors out there. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're different in a lot of ways. We take pride in that. Um, certainly, we're a more systems-based company. Um, we are very much uh, centralized here at, at corporate, and we operate with the, the same system you know, nationwide. Um, the division presidents, good or bad, don't do not have as much leeway in, in our systems. They manage to our system. It's it's very important. And I think we just put a lot more emphasis on sales and marketing and our salespeople. Um, we have uh, on our average LGI entry level community, we're going to have four salespeople uh, staffed in those offices. We're going to be open longer, more staffing, spend more money on advertising. And if you have twice as many salespeople 
you're open longer and you spend twice as much as marketing, you should have twice as many sales. And that's really what our, our results have been, averaging six closings per community per month uh, every year since we've been in business and, and industry leading. And then on the construction side and what's, we believe the best way to approach the entry level buyer is we're a hundred percent spec builder and always have been. And what I mean by that, everybody has a definition of that, but for us, it's four to five floor plans per community. We pre-select the fit and finish. So it's, everything's the same. And then we build them in advance of sales. So when a customer is currently paying rent, walks in, we can show them the house, uh, write a contract, we take them through the mortgage process, and they're moving into the house 30 days later. They get to see exactly what they're buying. And it makes it so much better on warranty, so much better on customer service. It's heavier on the capital side. So you have to have enough confidence you're going to sell it. So I know a lot of builders have specs. It's maybe as a result of some cancellations or they spec out houses differently. We have no options. We have no design center. There's no frame walks with customers. We are 100% spec, true to its true to its form, four to five floor plans, and, and keep it really simple. And, and to make sure that the customer understands that spec means a home is fully completed. You see exactly what you're going to purchase. Correct. And so much like you would if you were walking a home in the, the resale market or the used market, it's exactly what you see is what you're going to get. Um, Absolutely. Let me ask you, how is LGI better for the customer? We're, explain a little bit about who your target consumer has historically been and, and why your proposition has been so successful to so many throughout the country. Yeah, I, I think the, the primary reason is, is because of that spec model, we have move-in inventory. I think all of us build quality homes. All of us believe we build quality homes. But what LGI is different is our target audience is somebody that's currently paying rent. And we think it's pretty simple economics, supply and demand. When you're targeting renters and you market those renters and they call, we always ask them, how soon are you looking to make a move? And that answer has not changed in the last 20 years. When a renter responds to advertising, they're looking to make a move next month. Their lease is up in 60 days. They just got the price increase, new baby on the way, marriage, lifestyle change. They're always looking to move like tomorrow, next week, or within the next 30 to 60 days. So it's pretty simple to us. That's the demand. And we as a company need to satisfy that demand. The only way you can do that is you have to ha have the houses ready to go. So when that customer that wants to make a move in 30 to 60 days calls our office, our salespeople can say, yes, we can help you with that. Um, if you come out and see us, we can, see, we can show you exactly the house that will fit your needs and mm -hmm. be able to show you that house, write a contract and move it in 30 days, which is exactly what you're looking for. Any builder that has any sort of options or design component or design center, that customer, and it's gotten a lot worse, right, in this market, but you go to the design center, you get pre-approved, you go for permitting, and you're moving in literally six months, nine months, a year later, uh, when the customer wanted to move in three to three months later or 60 days later. Right, so that's, right. I think that's the biggest advantage um, that we have. And then the salespeople just are communicating with a lot more people a lot more people in our pipeline, a lot, a lot of people that are working on saving up for down payment or the timing wasn't right six months ago when they came at our offices. So since we have three to four times as many salespeople per community than other builders, we have a lot more customers that we're working on uh, to get into that community for home ownership. 
Now, I want to add one thing to that, Eric, because I had the benefit as you were starting this whole process out of watching your sales team and watching customers come in the door, yep. watching your sales team. And I would tell you one of the big propositions or, or paradigm shifts in how you guys approach this is you really go about, I think, in my opinion, helping the customer to afford their first home or to afford a home. So not only is it giving them a great option that's super affordable, but what I was really impressed with wasn't just the ones you sold homes to, but the ones you didn't sell homes to, you gave them a path on how to get to owning a home. And it was, hey, do this, this, and this, and a year from now, come back and see us. So whether there were credit issues or not, you had something for everybody. And your goal was to fulfill home ownership, which I thought was so fascinating. And really impressive because so often it's like, hey, come in, here's the price sheet. If, yeah. if, if you can afford anything, come talk to me. Where your team was pretty different in that category. Yeah, no, no question. And, and also, you know, we value our salespeople. We, we tell, and I've told all the employees in LGI, salespeople are the most valuable people in, in our business. They're our most valuable employees because without sales or without closings, we don't have a company. So let's start with that. We value <laughs> salespeople. And, and training salespeople and having professional salespeople, you know, we respect that. And we believe when customers walk into an information center or a model home or a car dealership or anything, they want to deal with professional salespeople that's been trained, that are knowledgeable in the area. And that's what our salespeople are. Our salespeople are very well trained. They are experts in the mortgage business, the construction business, the community, all of the local amenities, everything that they need to know, they've been trained on very thoroughly before that customer walks in. And you're exactly right. I mean, especially in today's market, you know, not everybody can qualify to buy a home. Marketing's job is get the phone to ring, then our salespeople take it from there. It's, a, it's historically, you know, runs about 20% of the people that walk in our office qualify to buy a home that day and 80% did not. So the, of the other 80%, let's treat them with respect, exceptional right. customer service, one of our core values. We give them a free copy of their credit report because we're going to pull their credit because most of them want to know if they qualify and what they need to do. We spend over a million dollars a year on credit reports as a value to our customer. Because you're right, the customer that doesn't buy from LGI, we put them on a path to buy um, short-term or long-term, paying down debt, saving for a down payment, maybe have to make more money, maybe be a co-signer. Uh, but also the experience and the value they get with someone sitting down with them and educating them on home ownership, on exactly. their credit, on how debt works, that helps them next time they buy a car. They might be able to clean up some of their credit, get a better rate from their credit card. So it's a, it's a good service that we provide. I was so impressed with it. And the, the second part to it, too, was just, um, what per, let me ask you this before I say this, what percentage of your customers are renting a home before they buy their first home? Um, most of them are renting apartments. There are some renting a home. Apartment but I mean, or home. To me, okay, a home well, is an apartment. 95%. I mean, of our LGI homes branded communities, um, 95% are currently renting. Um, so, so as they're coming in, I mean, their choices are to, to rent the apartment that they're in, Mm -hmm. And you basically, for the same monthly payment, show them a single family detached home. Here's, this is your choice. And let me show you what's included. So, and, and to watch that whole presentation is phenomenal. I mean, yeah. how your team does that, it's great. Well, let's yeah. do this. I, I want to go a little backwards here. Um, okay. I want to go back to when you were young growing up. 
tell us a little bit about the young Eric Leeper and sort of where you grew up and kind of how you ended up in home building. But I'm really more interested in who you were as a kid and like your favorite things. Did you have any mentors, any of that kind of stuff? Well, I grew up in a small town in the center part of Lower Peninsula, Michigan. So if the, if the thumb is Michigan, I grew up right in the right in the center part in a small town called Remus, which is a town of 500 people. So it was definitely a, a wow. small town. Wow. Uh, yeah, large, large school district. My school district is about 30 miles wide by 30 miles long. So a uh, big country farming town. Um, and I think the biggest thing for my childhood that impacted me today is probably just the work ethic. Because when you're growing up in a small town in Michigan, farming community, everybody just worked and we didn't, we didn't know any different. When I was growing up, my father <laughs> was selling cars and the local dealership. So he worked Monday through Friday and the dealership was also open until noon on Saturday. So Saturday is a work day and that was just more work and work six days a week and evenings and whatever, whatever it took. And then my family owned the, my uncle, my dad's brother owned the local bar in Remus. Um, and I went over there every day and mopped or um, swept or cleaned up the bar from the night before, before school. And that was a lot of worry. It wasn't a lot of time. It's about an hour a day before school, but the Remus Tavern was open 364 days a year. It was only closed Christmas day. So I got one day off uh, from that job. Um, but that was, that was it. Just working, you know, growing up, I played some sports, but just small town, um, I, small town growing up. Working can I ask, how old were you when you started mopping and cleaning uh, your uncle's bar? Because similar background. I mean, I started extremely young and it just, yeah. And I was excited to go to work at age eight. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was young. I mean, it's eight, 10, somewhere in that yeah. range. Um, certainly by the time I was in junior high, but elementary school, I remember I got paid for cleaning the bar. I got paid in two boxes of baseball cards. So I was a big baseball card collector and a big baseball nice. fan. So I got paid two boxes of baseball cards rather than getting cash. I thought that was a, a great trade on my part. <laughs> Do you still have those baseball cards today? I still, I still have a lot of baseball cards. Yes. Did, did they yes. pay off? That's what I want to know. Uh, maybe not the ones from back then, but but I have got into collecting, investing in some baseball cards. So I, I like to collect and, and look at them. And, and some of those from that era are pretty valuable. Not necessarily the ones I was playing with back then, but uh, yeah, a lot of those cards are. You know, those cards, the value of baseball cards, not to go down that, that path, yes. but they really went up during COVID. I mean, skyrocketed. Yes, yes. Inflation is real and everything went up during COVID, but a lot of people brought out their old cars and got on eBay and, and bought a lot of baseball cards during the COVID era and they're still still doing great. Well, so on, on, on that vein, tell me what you were interested in, Mo. like what were your favorite hobbies when you were younger and, and uh, did you have any sort of favorite you know, pastimes or sports or whatever. What is it that you love to do growing up? Yeah, I think it was baseball and hunting. I enjoyed playing baseball growing up. Um, you know, I was good enough to play through high school and that was about it through 10th grade, I believe. But collecting baseball cards uh, and then also fish, fishing and hunting, hunting and fishing. I was a big uh, hunter growing up in Michigan, rabbit hunting, squirrel hunting. I always had beagles uh, to use beagles for uh, rabbit hunting. Um, bow hunting for deer. So big hunting and fishing community in Northern Michigan as well. Now, how did you end up in Texas? Tell me. So, so now fast forward, you, um, you're picking what you want to do with your life as a young Eric and tell me, you know, what you thought your path would be, uh, sort of early on and, and what direction you wanted to go in and how did you end up in Texas? 
Yeah, it's it's a great question, Molly. Um, you know, my path, I think growing up in Remus, Michigan, you know, it's different than my daughters growing up in the Woodlands, Texas, right? When we went, sure. when we were going through high school and determining where you went to college, where I went to high school, there was no college tours, there was no ACT prep, you know, none of none of that about probably. 70% of the kids that I graduated with didn't go to college, and, and some of us did. And I just went to Central Michigan because it was close to the house. My parents were getting divorced. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. So I commuted back to back to Central Michigan University my first three years and wasn't sure what I wanted to major in. And I was good in math uh, in high school and like numbers. So I majored in mathematics, statistics, and actuarial science and thought I wanted to be an actuary. Um, and passed the first actual exam in college, which is over calculus and linear algebra, and was going down that path. But as I got to graduation, you know, an actuary is somebody who's going to sit in an office all day and not get out and about. And I wasn't sure I was going to like that. And I was like, liked being outside, hunting, fishing. And by that time, my father had gotten the real estate business in 19, 1988. So he got recruited out of car sales into land sales. And between 1988 and 1992, when I graduated, he got promoted a few times. When I graduated from college, he was living in Florida as the Eastern Division president doing a lot of sales training mm -hmm. um, for a previous company, a company called Patent Corporation. And we were talking, what was I going to do post-graduation? He's like, well, I could probably get you a job in sales with one of the guys that mentored me uh, or get you an interview but it's likely to be in, in Dallas or Houston. I'm like, okay, sounds better than being inside. If I can be outside selling land, whatever that means. So I went to Dallas and interviewed and got the jobs. My first job out of college um, was selling land, acreage home sites on Lake Louisville in Dallas, Texas, and selling in the system that essentially we use today, uh, the same sales principles in place. I wasn't really good at it. Uh, but at least I learned to, I learned the system and I did that for uh, two years. And then my father started LGI development in 1995. Uh, he found a high net worth individual to put up the capital. He did the work. And then in 1995, LGI as a company was born. LGI development focused on selling acreage home sites to people that want to move a little bit further out, buy a custom house. So I joined him in 1996 um, is when I first started with LGI. And then we started building houses in 2003. Wow. Okay. So, so first of all, as everybody is like looking up what an actuary is, could you uh, <laughs> share what an actuary does? Well, an actuary is someone that uses financial skills um, to solve primarily in insurance problems. Most people have heard of actuarial tables, which are tables based on life expectancy. So most of them work for large insurance companies but heavily math and statistics related. You know, that so makes sense for me knowing you. <laughs> that makes total sense. Math genius. That's great. Well, so, okay. So, so now fast forward, you go to work for your father. You mm -hmm. learn this whole new kind of sales technique. You find that, hey, maybe I'm not a great salesperson, but certainly with your math skill, skills, you're, you know, you've got this visionary side to you. How do you get into what you're doing now? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, it's really my father. I mean, he, like I said earlier, he started LGI development. He found a high net worth individual, started LGI development in 1996. I learned that acreage side of the business. I was in sales, got into sales management. I was always around the development, around the engineering. 
understood the financials, the numbers, the capital of it. And it was early in my career, but learned a ton. And then late in the 90s, he had been a he had been exposed in that previous company to manufactured housing on the East Coast. So he's like, we ought to get in the manufactured housing business as a way to diversify. There's so many people that need to be in that type of price point um, that what we're doing on the acreage side is really rely on the high-end customer. So we did two manufactured housing communities that I ran and managed in the late 90s, early 2000s. And at first thought, we were going to expand the manufactured housing business. But between the banks, the capital, the cities, the counties, some of them don't like manufactured housing or don't want that in their jurisdiction. And we're just gonna challenge with the growth. And once we started looking at the numbers, it was like, we can we can site build house, houses and build communities for not that much more than it costs to do manufactured housing communities correctly. I mean, putting them on a concrete foundation, attaching garage, et cetera. Exactly. So we started with, one community called Somerset Estates in 2003 in Houston. That was our first housing community. And I was still only in charge of sales. And I was a sales manager and we got off to it. We put the sales system in place for what we learned on the land side, directed the consumer advertising, four salespeople in the office, one manager, bringing the customers out, doing a lot of direct mail, and just had immediate success. And we were selling them, you know, back then it was a $130,000 house, but we were selling them as fast as we could build them. And it was really exciting. We're like, this, this is the ticket and this is where we want to keep going. You know, it's staggering when you really look at the affordability issues throughout the whole country. So it started out as a, how do we solve affordability? Manufacturing was the original sort of you know, that seems like the logical solution because everyone's doing it. And then you guys came up with a better solution. Yeah, no, it's it's the affordability is key and it's always has been key. I think now in this 7% interest rate environment, affordability is, is getting stretched and sales are lower. And for us, primarily driven by rates, but also price and the cost of development and everything that goes into that overall cost and price of the home, affordability matters. I mean, for customers looking to buy their first house, getting out of an sure. apartment situation, affordability 100% matters. And I think we're, we're seeing that in the market today. It's a challenging market. I was going to say, you know, given some of the, the headwinds and some of the changes there, it really does uh, affordability, the need for affordability, in other words, never changes, right? I mean, it actually, I have to believe it becomes even more important. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's we we need more housing in the country, and it's going to be more challenging for all of us. All of our you know our peer group, we're all talking about starting less houses because at this price point, at these rates, we're selling less houses, so we're not going to build as many houses, and that's not helping the supply and and what we need to do at all. You know, how do you actually, on that note, as you're trying to really meet affordability, let's talk about your approach to buying land. And then your approach to designing homes. How do you pick the right locations? Now, you've expanded to quite a few locations throughout the country from where you started. How do you pick the right locations? And then I also want to talk a little bit about and locations as to where you expand globally in the U.S., but also yep. locations, a new division president shows up. And how does he then go out and find that right calculation of you know, affordable land, affordable homes? Right. Yeah, I think uh, let's start with the market. So when we started expanding outside of Texas, we first went to Arizona first, then to Florida, Atlanta, because we were coming out of the downturn. 
And the opportunity was in finished lots. And buying finished lots for lower replacement costs, you can get in there. We actually raised $50 million of private equity because the banks weren't lending at that point, right, in 2010. And that's really the markets were kind of picked for us because that's where the opportunity was. And then after we got through those markets, then we hired John Burns. He did a study for us. Uh, and we really looked at um, all the markets that he suggested, he, him, him and his firm, and you were there, is yep. the top, top 10 markets LGI should go to. And it was markets like Raleigh, Nashville, Seattle, you know, not rocket science, a lot of great markets, Orlando. Well, and Atlanta and, and Phoenix, as I recall, was part of that initial study. I yeah, no, absolutely. I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we just took that and we went. And then for us, the next most important part was the people aspect of it. So I remember Ryan Stokes, he was our next leader. He's our vice president of construction in Phoenix. And we literally had a meeting with Ryan. We tell all our employees the story. We said, Ryan, we are going to these markets, but the individual leading us in this market is the most important. And we're going to transfer LGI and you are leading candidate. And would you like to go to Seattle, Nashville, or Raleigh? And we gave him the choice. Um, and he chose Seattle. So we went to Seattle first. And then we went to Nashville. Then we went to Raleigh because that's where the people want to go to. So that individual How leading cool the that? market. Yeah, is very well, that's the most important thing is having the right person in place. And then once we get to the individual market, the acquisitions leader in those markets, you know, selecting the right community. You know, I think one of the things that that you may appreciate, Molly, you know, we're targeting renters. So one of the things that's consistent, because it's not an exact science on, you know, picking out land and communities, but every single LGI community that we buy and develop and build houses in has at least 50,000 rental units within 30 miles. That's the criteria. A lot of them have a lot more than that, but that keeps us out of the small markets. It keeps us going too far out. But 50,000 rental units is our criteria because we believe if there's 50,000 rental families, because that's who we're marketing to, we can drive absorption of six a month in a normal market. So that, that's one of the criteria that we use uh, that we have to check the box on. No, and, and as I recall, you also test that too, right? So as you're looking at that, you have a test to make sure that you can reach that customer too. And that was pretty impressive as well. So you're going to test that as you go into those markets. Seattle is such a tough market to go into. Um, it really is one of the toughest markets in the country. Uh, how did that first entrance into Seattle go and how did you make it work there? Yeah, all the markets are tough to enter. I, I think the, the biggest thing, again, going back to the people and we handle acquisitions and land separate from home building and sales. So we hire an acquisitions and land development vice president usually is the first employee in a market. And that individual is responsible for getting us our first project. You and I were talking about Utah earlier. Um, we've got their first employee in Utah was the vice president of acquisitions development for Utah. And is that typically and a local person, Eric? Definitely local. Yeah, local yeah. knowledge. We transfer in for operation and someone that understands our systems and culture, but the acquisitions and development individual that we hire is going to be local knowledge, knows the land brokers, knows the sellers, knows the cities. Know, and once you have that individual in place, you reduce the risk a ton. And then everything else is timing after we get that first project started. It may be a project that we're developing that might take a year or two before we even have to worry about construction or sales, or it may be an opportunity to get into a master plan and buy finished lots, and we have to get going immediately. But we would not 
approve or, or buy a new community without having that local expertise. I got it. I got it. And then, and then your division president then goes in with, with the systems that you talked about at the very beginning of this to make sure that you're going to operate consistently with all the other measures you have within the company. Correct. And the division president in our, in our space and LGI is really focused on construction, sales, operations, uh, mortgage business, everything outside of acquisitions development. Acquisitions development gives us the division president's lots to build on and the division president takes it from there. Let's talk about your sales team because you've talked about very different from a lot of where companies are going today, just the importance of the sales team and making sure that they aren't making up their own rules or frankly taking rules from another company and bringing them here. How do you select your sales team and make sure that they are doing it the LGI way? Because it is very different. Yeah, no, it's it's not easy to recruit people for sure. Um, we get a lot of resumes. You have to weed through a lot of people. But our our I think our ideal individual that comes to work for us in sales is someone that's probably currently in sales, doesn't have to be. Someone that is professional, someone has the ability to communicate, someone that is likely making sixty to hundred thousand dollars a year, someone that is likely working a retail type of environment that's used to working on the week, week weekends and nights, and wants the opportunity to make a hundred thousand dollars plus, um, and that's what LGIs provide. And we believe we can take anybody and teach them our process and systems if they have effective communication skills and they're professional, and they're willing to work, we can teach them and teach them our process and systems, and they're guaranteed to make $100,000 a year plus. Um, and that's a great opportunity. Um, now, sure. you think those would be pretty easy criteria to get, uh, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, we have found most individuals don't like to work and don't want to commit <laughs> to working every weekends or work in the evenings or don't want to be on straight commission. So, um, for those individuals out there that like to work, that it can effectively communicate, we can teach them the process. How often do you hire somebody who's already been in sales and home building? Well, I would say quite often um, because we have a pretty, if somebody is in sales and home building and they like that job, um, but they may be frustrated with their manager, another builder, or their community sold out. I mean, LGI is a pretty good place. I mean, we have, for salespeople, we drive the most leads. We pay the highest commissions and we have spec inventory, which means you can get paid quicker. So it's pretty appealing to salespeople in the industry. Um, they have to be open-minded to learning our system, learning the processes. And the other thing, Molly, that we probably are hiring more people in the industry than we used to is licensing. A lot of, depending on the state, and there's 20 different states that all operate differently, a lot of our states, the individual has to be real estate licensed. And if you're already in the industry, already have that license, that um, sometimes needs to be a criteria, especially when you're opening up a market. And and how do you, um, is there a certain sort of training that goes on when they come on board or is it, I mean, how do you actually make sure they lose their ABC home builder, you know, skills and really take on yours? Yeah, I mean, well, it's a challenge, and we we screen for that. We take them through a very structured process in LGI. The process we use for recruiting nationwide is exactly the same. The other thing that we do that I think is unique is every salesperson that we hire starts on a specific day every quarter. And we have a quarterly training class. We've been doing this way since 2003. 
And everyone that we hire, our next training class is in February. And everyone we hire between now and February, their start date is going to be in February. And we're going to fly them all to Houston, to the Woodlands. And they're going to spend a week with us here. And myself, uh, I'm going to talk to them on day one. Then our president and CEO, Mike Snyder, is going to talk to them the rest of the week. And I'll be with them all week. And we spend a week with them and commit every time we have a training class, it's a few hundred thousand dollars, but we are committed uh, to making sure they get off to a fast start in LGI. And we talk a lot about the process. We talk about the manual. We talk about you're guaranteed to have success at LGI if you follow what's in this manual. And we promise there's nothing missing out of the manual. So all the experiences and all the, the great things that you brought from another builder we like your personality and we like your experience, but it's going to be a different process. And we need you to put that on um, what we say is the shelf. <laughs> so let's, let's talk more about people because I, I'm hearing definitely a trend here that people are such a key ingredient to all of this. So, so we've talked about how you pick the right sales associate. How do you pick the right sales, not sales, I'm sorry. How do you pick the right division president? Um, well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, our, Majority of our division presidents have come up through the ranks, some on the sales side, some on the construction side. Um, and the sales, some have started in sales, some have started as a sales manager, but it's a shallow. Just like the salespeople starting at that, not all great salespeople are going to make great managers, right? Some are, right. some aren't. And that's usually the path that our division presidents take is they become a sales manager, then they become either a vice president of sales and vice president of construction and up through that path. Um, the key to picking a division president, why somebody gets the chance to be in that role is the ability to manage people. It has nothing to do with their sales experience or the construction experience or how long they've been with the company. Once you have proven that you have the ability to manage people in LGI, your path is unlimited. And that, that is, that is not easy to do. Managing people is a different skill set. And, and there are very few people that are great at it. <laughs> what do you think the key ingredients are? Well, I think for managing people in, in our process, you have to manage them to the system, manage them to the job description, be a great listener. We do monthly goals one-on-one -on -one with the individuals and we hold them accountable. You train you know, part of our culture point is someone fails, it's the manager's fault. So if we have a salesperson that doesn't make it or is struggling, we don't follow, we don't fire the salesperson, we fire the manager because it's the manager's job to get them up to speed. And we believe if they're operating in the system, they're going to have success. So we really put a lot of emphasis on that culture point and really put a lot of emphasis on, on managing people, but not easy to do. Um, Salespeople, the most important, they get all the recognition. The sales manager doesn't get any recognition. They're in the background and we're praising the salespeople and the best managers have to be okay with that. And some people are not okay with that. Interesting, interesting. How do you find the, uh, the right head of construction? Um, great question. I think the, our head of construction the most important thing, again, is managing people, managing trades. I and mean, we certainly have individuals that have a lot more construction experience, and they have to have some level of construction experience. But if you take a look at our top vice presidents of construction nationwide, the top ones that stand out in LGI 
are going to be the ones that have the ability to manage people. They don't have any turnover because when you're when you're managing construction managers and they're managing the trades and you're building houses, uh, turnover is is deadly in any position LGI. But the, the great managers have no turnover at LGI, and that that's a outstanding trait. Well, let me ask you this about you. Let's let's transition to you. Um, what do you love most about your job? I think seeing seeing the success of the company and helping everybody reach their goals. I mean, we we talk a lot about and we talk to individuals at LGI that has success. And the phrase we use is LGI is a great vehicle to help people reach their goals. And we have had a, a ton of employees be able to reach their personal goals, financial goals uh, within LGI uh, because of the success we had. So I, I think that's the, the best part. I think you could say the same for the consumer too, because I think every person oh, to own their first home and you help them get there. That's kind of cool. No, absolutely. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, we've never had a customer. We've closed over 50,000 houses in our history and we've That's yet awesome. to have a customer call us and say, I wish I'd kept renting. Right. Right. No one calls and say, I wish I'd kept renting. That was a terrible idea. And a ton of stories. Can you, and you know, this already It's, <laughs> it's specific to LGI, but can you imagine an entry level customer uh, that was paying rent, bought an LGI home in 2011, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I mean, they got $100,000 plus of equity, probably 90% of their net worth is the equity they bought in the house just because they they chose to, to take that step. And we're we're a path for that. And we're not, we're not claiming to be, and we tell our customers this, we're not the, if you want a swimming pool and the four bedrooms and 3,000 square feet, and you know a fireplace that's the next house that's that's and you're not there yet financially in most cases we are a step after the rental situation before the three three thousand square foot house of the pool that is phenomenal eric my number one goal in life is just to make a difference and you and your dad have helped fifty thousand people plus get their get home ownership i mean you guys should be so proud of what you guys have done that's phenomenal um, as you guys were starting out at the very beginning, I mean, how did you go about actually getting like the uh, the money side of this in place and sort of the financial support? How, how did you make that happen? I mean, you started out, both of you came from a town of 500 people, small yeah. town, working from the ground up. I mean, how do you get that financial commitment? Well, I, I think my, you know, my father started with the LGI side and what he did is he found a high net worth individual that he built a relationship with. And when he started LGI development in 1995, the structure they had, it was the high net worth individual put up all the capital to get started. It was a few million dollars. And my father did all the work and they were 50, 50 partners. And he grew that land nice development deal. business. Yeah. And, <laughs> and had a lot of, had a lot of success, but then the downturn hit in sure. you know, 08, 09, 010. And my father was taking his earnings and what he was making on the side equation. And we were starting this little housing venture, but then the, the downturn hit the land business and my father pretty hard. And it got to the point in, in 2010 where he was not able to put in a more capital to grow LGI homes, but he had put up the initial capital to get started. And I was doing the work essentially. He's, he's never been active in, in LGI homes since 2003. So he said, look, if you want to grow housing, and this is a point where we're starting to see opportunities post downturn, you need to go find the capital yourself and we'll be 50, 50 partners. I put the original capital, you go find the capital and you sure. can grow it, but I am, I'm tapped out. You know, I can't, bank won't give me any more money. 
I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a deal. And I actually called uh, or saw John Burns. I talked to yourself. We talked about Lisa uh, Jackson earlier and said, mm-hmm. who do I need to talk to yeah. as far as raising capital for the home building industry? And she said, well, you need to talk to Tony Avila. I'm like, okay. So in the January of 2010, I met with Tony Avila at the Builder Show. And Tony's like, hey, you got a great story. We had three communities at Houston at the time, closing 400 houses, profitable, but we're seeing opportunities. Hey, we need to grow and we're ready to go here. He's like, well, we're going to have to go. Banks aren't lending. We have to go the private equity route, which I knew nothing about. And Tony took us out and went through a lot of private investors. We did a lot of conference calls. We did meetings and we ended up getting a $50 million commitment from Rob Bradian and GTIS. That's right. And that allowed us to finance these communities deal by deal. And GTIS was involved with us when we expanded to Arizona and bought four deals in Texas and Florida. And it worked exactly like Tony said. He said, this is gonna take you from 400 closings to north of a thousand closings a year. And hey, it's private equity, it's expensive, but it's not debt, it's not 20% interest, it's just sharing a profit. So it's like you're used to, and just like your father's used to. I'm like, okay, let's let's go. And it worked exactly like Tony said. We got to 1600 closings in 2013. And Tony calls one day and said, Hey, it's markets open. TriPoint just went public. He's like, We got a shot to go public. I'm like, all right, let's do it. And uh, even though we're only closing 1,600 houses, a couple hundred million dollars in revenue, we end up going public in November of 2013. And here we go. And then it was public capital uh, since then. And um, my father was owned a lot of LGI stock at the time we went public. And um, yeah, it's, it was it was great. Tony helped us a ton. And, and just that period of growth from 2010 to 2013 was a lot of fun. And then now operating as a public company, we just had our earnings call a couple hours ago. And uh, that's been exciting as well. Still learning and, and going through all the different capital events and everything we've done as a, as a public company. And certainly a lot of growth has, has been challenging and rewarding. You know, I don't think you could have hit the timing any better. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. Timing worked out. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Well, I want to ask you a couple of questions personally. Okay. So switching from, from business to, again, back to you. What's your favorite thing to do if you're not working? Uh, probably go to the ranch I own in the Texas Hill Country. So I own a 500-acre ranch um, that we host a lot of employees at and, and have a lot of fun with the family at. Uh, enjoy yeah. having my wife and daughters out there as well. So, How old are your daughters today? Uh, 20 and 18. I have a, a sophomore awesome. at Texas A&M. I'm sporting the cup today. <laughs> <laughs> and then Good I job, got Daddy. a uh, freshman at TCU, Texas Christian in Fort Worth, whose football team's undefeated. We're eight now. So That's really awesome. good uh, football team. So two daughters, uh, both in college. That's fantastic. Congratulations to you and your wife. I, Thank you. Uh, I remember your wife was just about one of the nicest people ever too. You, you guys make a great pair. Um, so tell me what your uh, favorite place to visit is outside of the ranch. Like, where would you go if you weren't in uh, Texas? Um, my favorite place to visit outside the ranch. Yes. Um, pro- probably anywhere that involves LGI or hunting. Um, <laughs> so I am not an international traveler. Um, you- don't. So no. I, I know people probably say Europe or Italy. No. That, that's that's not me. Um, I like to work and spend time at the ranch and spend time with family. So 
I've had some um, people say their own backyard. So no, any anything's yeah. game. Yeah. Um, do you still have the office with all of the um the different uh animals that you've hunted throughout? I just remember going like, wow, that was amazing. <laughs> Most of them are in my house, but I've got a uh, yeah. trophy room at my house that has a lot of animals in it. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty phenomenal. And there are and it's a a lot of employees around here have animals in their offices, yes. So we are definitely, we are definitely a, a hunting company. It's a Texas thing too, I think. For yes, sure. it is Wait, a Texas thing. I probably know the answer to this, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. It's favorite sport? Baseball. Oh, baseball. Favorite yeah, and the Astros are in the World Series, so hopefully you're rooting for the Astros tonight. Of, of course I am. Of course I am. I was going to say favorite team. I think I just got the answer yeah. to that one for sure. Okay. By the time somebody watches us, the Astros should be World Series champions. So. <laughs> nice. Okay. You got to get the sweatshirt on tonight. Well, tell me this. Word association. Tell me what you think of when I say quality. LGI Homes. What do you think of when I... Well, God, this is going to be an easy one for you. I feel like I'm lobbing this one up for you, uh, Eric. What do you think of when I say affordability? <laughs> yes, LGI Homes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Same yeah. answer. But, uh, for well, sure. I, I could say affordability... What comes to mind today is uh, uh, challenging, challenging on the affordability side. Absolutely, and and what do you what do you think of when I say the word inspirational? I think of vision and leadership and goal setting. You know, one thing I haven't mentioned today. I, th I think it's important for all of us to set the direction of the company. I mean, everybody working for a company, what, what's the plan for that company? Here at LGI, we talk about openly, and it's a, it's a big goal, is we're focused on being a top five builder, which means we're going to have 240 communities nationwide, and we got a specific for every market in the country, how many communities we have. We want to have a $500 stock price. Um, our goal was to be a top 10 builder and was to have $100 stock price, and we've checked both those boxes along the way. So now we're top five and a $500 stock price, and everybody's pushing towards that goal, and we make decisions based on that goal. That's that's what comes to mind when I think of inspiration. That's that's a pretty powerful answer, for sure, especially given what you're doing. Um, what about the top feature you believe today is the most important in your homes? I think what we hear from our customer and we survey them or, or they fill out demographics, what's the most one reason? It's uh, space. You know, outside of affordability, when it comes to the house, they just want more space. You're living in an apartment, that's the number one thing. And I think the yard is a close second. The space in the yard, more so than a specific feature in the house, is really what we sell. Good answer. Um if you were to uh, pick a favorite, I know it's hard to ask for favorites, but do you have a favorite community of all the communities you've built over time? Do you have a favorite? I would probably say Bauer Landing because it's close to our corporate office. It's about 20 miles west of our corporate office. It's going to end up having about 1,300 homes in it. It's had a couple of different product series. Uh, we've had a great team there. Uh, it's been a highly successful project. And it's one we're always taking investment bankers and brokers and uh, bankers to. Um, so it's really one of our, our pride and joys. And, and we've been there so often, and it always shows so well. The performance is great. I'd say probably Bauer Landing in, in Houston. Oh, I've got to go visit that one. That's yes. awesome. Um, well, as we're wrapping up here, um, would you, who would you point to if you were to sort of pick your top, you know, one or two mentors in your career? And I'm going to ask you to pick one personal mentor and one or two professional mentors. 
who would you say have been sort of your mentors in your career? Uh, and, and what are kind of the qualities or leadership pieces to them that you really admire that helped you kind of do what you're doing today? Yeah, I think, you know, my father comes to mind for sure, because he created, sure. created the process, he created systems, he was the work ethic. I mean, he he pushed and he's he's the reason we're all here today. Nice. Uh, then outside of that, I, you know, I was a member of, of Vistage for 10 years, the CEO group, and that helped tremendously um, my experience and, and growth as a leader. And then I, I'd also point to not necessarily specific leaders, but, you know, we, we are in the home building space and we analyze all the great companies, you know, preparing for earnings calls. I was reading all the transcripts and, you know, DR Horton, Lennar, Pulte, these companies, you know, DR Horton's going to build 80 to a hundred thousand houses a year. I mean, that's just incredible what they've built and operating at that scale. Same way with Lennar, Pulte, you know, all the, all the top 10 builders above us. Um, so we, we follow that pretty close and that that's impressive, whatever all those other companies have done. For sure. Is there, is there, as you sort of wrap up and look at your own sort of leadership style and, and what you're trying to achieve, what would you say are the top qualities that you believe, um, you have to have to be successful today? Well, I, I think in today's market, one of the things that we've been talking about internally is we, we have to communicate a lot with all of our employees. Um, and I think everybody likes that message because everybody wants to know what's going on because the news cycle is starting to turn pretty negative, right? A lot of talk about rates, most of the housing metrics is the headline is down year over year, talk about recessions. And I think communication with the employees and letting everybody know exactly where we're at as a company um, is very important. I and mean, we, we encourage, I, I bet most companies don't do this, we actually sent out a link to our earnings call because we encourage our employees to listen to our earnings call. So everybody hears exactly what we're telling Wall Street and all the other analysts. As a follow-up to that, on Thursday, we're having an all-employee call. We always do it right after earnings, so the information is out publicly. And we're going to have all the employees of LGI, and there's about a 1,000 of them, all on the same Teams call on Thursday, and our leadership team is going to present the status of LGI, what we talked about the earnings call, what's going correctly, what we need to improve on, what's our capital look like, um, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you will. But it's it's very authentic and open communication to our employees. I think that's what that's what I'm thinking. That's what we're focused on uh, right now. That's awesome. Hey, let me ask you this: just given the current environment, what percentage, if any at all? actually work at home? Um, zero, basically. I mean, of our thousand employees, Molly, 90% of them are in the sales, in sales, construction, development. Those are not work from home jobs. Gotcha. And then for those of us at, at corporate, we got about a hundred of us here in the Woodlands corporate office. Um, we just like being together. I mean, we, if we're not a work from home company, our, our job, part of our culture is, is corporate supports the field. We exist to support the field, and the fields in the out working, getting dirty, sweating, you know, working hard. We need to be in the office to support them and and mentoring, and it just doesn't work for us to be a work from home type company. I'm not sure it works for anybody, but that's my opinion. Sure. What? So, last, very last question for you. What do you want to be most known for? Um. Me personally or LGI? You. Hmm. What do I want to be most known for? That's a great question. Um, Believe it or not, say, 
What's that? I said, believe it or not, this whole interview is really about you. And LGI is kind of really what you have created, which is awesome. You should be so proud of all that you've done. But really, um, yeah, this interview is about you. Yeah, I, I think it's the, what I'd like to be known for is someone that led LGI and put the systems in place and helped a lot of people accomplish their goals. Similar to what we were talking about earlier, that vehicle that helped a lot of individuals accomplish their goals. Yes. Um, and if we can do that, that'd, that'd be good. Well, I think you've done that at least 50,000 times, sir. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, customers and customers and employees. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on all your success. Um, I just, it's, it's so impressive to see. And, and once again, I just, it's a pleasure to know you. It's a pleasure to see all that you've done. And uh, thanks for taking the time for talking with us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Molly. You bet. All right. Take care.